Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Not every person who's trans or non-binary wants to change their voice. Some do. And some people who ebb and flow on this gender spectrum adapt their voices many times a day and throughout their lifetime. So today, we hear from trans and non-binary people who found their voices and who teach people to find theirs, like Ama Rose Wooten. Right now, I have a raised larynx. This is what it sounds like to have a lower larynx, the high closed quotient. You'll also meet members of a choir in the Bay Area that is exclusively for singers who identify as transgender, intersex, or genderqueer. A trans femme, non-binary yoga teacher will show you how they use Vedic chanting as a way to feel closer to their voice. And you'll hear beautiful music and wise, wise words from the first female baritone to perform a principal role on an American operatic stage who happens to be trans. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's next on Audacious, right after the news. You must raise our larynx to immediately having less space in the vocal tract. Right now, I have a raised larynx. Right now, I have a lowered larynx. If I'm in mask voice and the only thing that I'm changing is my larynx height, I'm going to go from sounding like this to like this. This is what it sounds like to have a higher larynx. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and that is Ama Rose Wooten. She's a trans woman in Baltimore. And when trans and non-binary people are trying to figure out how to get closer to the voice that suits them best, she teaches them some ways they can get there. Now, originally, my producer Jessica and I were planning on doing a show about the ways, in general, that people adapt their voices. You know, like someone who's freakishly good at accents, or people who overdub English-language cartoons and movies into other languages, or how people who are trans sometimes modify their voices to match how they feel they should sound. Well, it didn't take long till we realized that that segment about trans voices deserved an entire episode. So today you're going to meet a trans femme non-binary yoga teacher who uses Vedic chanting to feel centered and to feel closer to their voice. You'll hear from members of a choir in the Bay Area that is exclusively for singers who self-identify as transgender, intersex, or genderqueer. And you'll get to know Lucia Lucas. She's the first female baritone to perform a principal role on an American operatic stage. And she happens to be trans. We'll bring you that show about other vocal adaptations later, but let's get back to Ama Rose Wooten, the voice you heard at the top of the show. I asked her when changing her voice was something she knew she had to do. Uh, I was about 14 when I first started working on my voice. I was a baby trans person. It's very, very new to exploring myself, but I knew that my voice was really low um, and I really wanted to change that. So I discovered Synguistics. Which stands for Science Singing Linguistics. Synguistics. Yep. That's awesome. Correct. Yeah. So um, the server owner, Charles Armstrong, he was like, the only person like leading all of this stuff at the time. So um, I bartered uh, graphic design work in exchange for voice lessons from him. And as I continued taking lessons, um, I really fell in love with the science behind how the voice works. And it was then that I like really started to realize my passion uh, about voice. And um, from there, I began to 
delve into reading about voice and voice science from a variety of different sources, from articles uh, to literature about like vocal pedagogy, scientific articles, and observing my mentor's lessons. When people who are trans want to start changing their voice to something that feels more like them, where where do they start? You can basically think of trans voice as as the influence of testosterone being the major core like defining element of what makes a voice sound masculine or feminine. When AMABs, people who are assigned uh, male at birth, AMAB, uh, when they go through puberty, the vocal tract gets larger, their vocal folds get longer and thicker, and uh, there's more space in the mouth because the skull gets bigger. So with voice training, what we're doing is essentially we're behaviorally reversing these effects by manually modifying these things to be smaller. Uh, for a trans feminine voice, for trans masculine voice, uh, we're actually doing the opposite. So we're making the vocal tract longer, we're increasing the amount of space in our mouth, and we're emulating having thicker vocal folds by increasing what's called our close quotient, which is the amount of time that the vocal folds spend in a closed position versus an open position. When I, you know, when I first started thinking about this show and how trans people adapt their voices uh, and don't, I kept thinking, well, pitch, you know, they, they, they want to change their pitch, but it's not, pitch is just one thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Pitch pitch is not that important. I can still talk like pretty low and sound pretty feminine. Or I can talk really, really high and sound really feminine. So like, I can also talk like at the same pitch um, and sound masculine. I'm still talking like around the same pitch, but I'm applying all of the, my masculine voice configuration overall, low lyrics, high close quotient, um, and large embouchure. The difference is stark. <laughs> um, on that video, I'd love to hear you talk about uh, one exercise that uh, surprised me a little bit when I heard it, just because it's it's funny sounding, but it's so powerful. Talk about big dog, small dog. Uh, yeah, sure. So big dog, small dog is an exercise that I use all the time. It was coined by my voice teacher, Charles Armstrong. We use it to raise the larynx and therefore shorten the vocal tract. So when to pant like a Labrador and then pant like a Chihuahua, taking the pitch of your pants higher. And then when you go from there, there's the second part of the drill from the pants, uh, and that's called the phonation test. So you take that aspirate H sound and you go into a vowel. So that sounds like this. And now I'm speaking with a really, really high larynx. So obviously this is exaggerated. You might not want to do that that high, but just to show like the full range of motion that you can get with it. And yeah, uh, that's the exercise. And you were saying the phonation test is very, 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 very important. Talk about that. Yeah, the, the phonation test is really important um, because a lot of people, they'll do the dog pants, right? And then they'll just like try and speak directly after that. But if they don't have the phonation test to help propel them into that higher larynx configuration, they're just going to drop it immediately. So they might go like, oh, no, I'm speaking like immediately dropping their larynx after that. So can you hurt yourself if you don't do some of this correctly? Actually, yes, there are like exercises that you might find online that might be more harmful. One of those would be like a swallow and hold exercise um, where you like, try and swallow, and, like hold your larynx in place. Um, that's going to cause you to like engage a lot of muscles you might not want to um, and could like lead to all sorts of tension issues that you just don't want to deal with. 
What effect, if any, does taking hormones have on the voice? If you're trans feminine, basically nothing. Your voice isn't going to be changed uh, with estrogen. If you are trans masculine, um, testosterone will change your voice to some degree, but probably not as much as you might think. A lot of trans guys will have their vocal folds get uh, longer and thicker, but they might not necessarily have the um, larynx descend as much, which will cause them to ha- kind of have like kind of like this buzzy, bright quality in their voice because the larynx hasn't uh, descended. So that's one of the biggest things that I work with with like a lot of my, my trans masculine uh, students is, is getting them to lower their larynx. Huh. How do you know when you've gotten there? How do you, like, I don't think about, well, that's not true. As a radio host, I've been on the air for 14 years, but this show is about a year old. So in the context of doing my own show, like, I'm still figuring out how to talk just like me, right? Which is a silly thing in a weird way. Like, how is it, how do you not know how to talk like yourself? Just talk like yourself, you know, turn off that self-conscious thing in your head and just talk. Don't worry about it. But I wonder, for people who are trans and they're trying to find that voice that is them, how do you know, I got there, I'm here? I would say there's like two stages to trans voice. There's one stage, which is when uh, you just have your voice and it's passing. But there's a second stage, which is further fine-tuning your voice to sound more how you'd want. So that can be changes in inflections changes in intonation, changes in glottal behavior. Like if you wanted to be maybe more breathy or you wanted to like have more vocal fry at the end of your sentences. But even then, dysphoria isn't always logical. So like I'll have lots of trans students who will, ha- who will have like an amazing voice, right? But still will have like insecurities about their voice and, and learning how to get through that is really important. Another thing that I have been thinking a lot about is the power of the voice now that we all have masks on all the time in this era of COVID. And so now, you know, when you're out and about, your voice is truly powerful in a way it wasn't. How, for you personally, how has it been going out and having a mask? Has that affected the way that you use your voice? I wouldn't say it changes the way that that I use my voice, but it does change the way people interpret me. I have been getting misgendered much less frequently. Um, when I wear a mask, um, which is always now because of the pandemic. Um, I wouldn't say that trans people are necessarily in a position where they necessarily need to like uniquely express themselves more with a mask, if that makes sense. I think voice, regardless of clothing, can be strongly influential um, in how someone perceives your vocal gender. At times when I'm like wearing more gender neutral or masculine clothing, but still have a feminine voice, I still find people gender me correctly most of the time. And I do think that's largely because of voice. Um, lots of people will correct themselves after like hearing me speak, but I think there is an impact, but it, it's not as much about voice as it is about like safety and trans people in general. Yeah. It, that makes me think, you know, if trans people in this country and many parts of the world didn't have to worry about their safety and, you know, what you call passing, which is, you know, being interpreted by people like me who are cisgendered as, you know, I think you are the woman that you are. I wonder if the world weren't this way, if as many trans people would want to change their voices. And I know you don't speak for all trans people, but what's your reaction to that thought? Yeah, so I definitely have had like, um, particularly um, non-binary students that'll come in and like ask for like 
help with their voice um, to sound like more stereotypical feminine or masculine. And for them, it's less about passing because what exactly does it mean to pass as a non-binary person, right? For them, it's more about safety. And I do think that that is like a big issue that a lot of us have to deal with is, is changing our voices, maybe not because we feel like we need to, but for society to accept us the way that we need them to. Earlier in our conversation, you dropped suddenly down into a very deep voice. What does it feel like to use that voice? Um, <laughs> using this voice uh, is really weird for me. Um, mostly, it, it, it feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel painful, but it does feel uncomfortable because it's not me. And I've spent so much time distancing myself from this voice. It doesn't feel like me. I don't know. I, it, it just is, is much more rewarding for me to, to speak in this voice that affirms my identity and makes me feel much happier with myself. I wonder what it is about the voice that makes it so powerful. I know that's like a huge question, but when you when you flipped into that lower voice, like like my heart dropped and like I keep putting my hand on my forehead when you do it, like it, it takes my breath away a little bit. I don't know what that is. I don't know what I'm feeling when I hear that that distinction. But what do you think it is that makes the voice so freaking powerful and so meaningful to all of us? Voice, voice is very personal. Voice is so important, I think, to the mental health of, of trans people. And I think like having a, a matched voice with your in, internal voice and your outside voice, like I, it, it really does change things. Well, Ama Rose Wooten, I loved hearing your voice. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. You can see that video Ama Rose posted with the techniques she uses, and you can get a link to her Singuistics Discord page on our webpage, ctpublic.org slash audacious. When we get back. The existing options for singing with others were just not adequately set up or welcoming for the trans intersex gender queer community. I'm Kyone Wolf here from someone who fixed that. That's on Audacious right after this. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking about the power and significance of voice in the lives of trans and non-binary people. Imagine, if you will, a choir. What do you see? You may see some dudes in suits, women in dresses, or at least some crisp skirts and blouses. They're probably divided into sections you'd call soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. But New Voices Bay Area Chorus does not look like that, although a few of them do rock some crisp black button-downs. And they don't categorize themselves with the whole soprano, alto, tenor bass thing either. The choir is a mixed-voice ensemble for singers who self-identify as transgender, intersex, or genderqueer. And they sound like this. Ruben Zellman is the founder and director of New Voices Bay Area, and he joined me along with two members of the choir, Liene Christian Bringi Mark and Jasmine G. I asked Ruben why he started this group. 
So I am um, a trans and intersex person who um, has been involved in singing in lots of ways, but uh, over many years has been, it's been really clear to me how many doors are not open and how rigid the binary categories of gender are in, in all kinds of music, um, not all kinds of music, but in many kinds of music. And certainly in the way that Western societies have set up choruses. On the other hand, community courses are one of the primary ways that people participate in music across our lives here in the United States, for sure. Um, you know, I got my uh, master's in choral conducting um, a few years ago, several, gosh. You know what, I don't even know what year it is right now because the pandemic has destroyed everything. At some point in my life, it would appear that I got a master's in music and choral conducting. And doing that, both the learning and doing the work afterwards, it became really clear that the existing options for singing with others in our area and in, frankly, most areas were just not adequately set up or welcoming for the trans, intersex, gender, queer community. The issues and the needs and the desires of the community were just not being served. So that's why I approached the Community Music Center with this idea. When somebody comes to you and they say, all right, I want to be a part of this chorus, maybe they're not sure exactly what parts they should be singing, just like any human being may not know. How do you figure out where this person will go in your chorus? I would say a great number of our singers are in exactly that position. Um, when you have a community that has been disenfranchised from an activity for a very long time and combine that with the fact that there are so many things that have changed in the life of this community in other ways, better access to hormones, all much better visibility, all kinds of things. There's so much work we have to do, but also a lot of things have changed for the better in the last 10 or 15 years. So part of the way that I tried to set this up to make it truly welcoming and reflective of this community is to remove some of the assumptions that we build in usually to how choruses work. So for example, when someone walks into an audition, well, first of all, we don't have any auditions. No one is turned away ever under any circumstances because our goal is to let this community sing and inclusion is number one. But of course we do wanna make sure that everyone is singing in a way that's healthy for them and that is joyful for them as a person. But what I don't do is say, what voice part are you? Because we have to assume, and it is, and a lot of our folks don't know. Well, they don't know yet, right, necessarily. Or we also need to remove the assumption that voice is a stable thing that doesn't change, right? Oh, I'm an alto. Well, maybe right now, but in this community, voice, physicality, as well as identity and interest, these things are constantly in flux. And the reality is these are constantly in flux for many, many people, not just trans and intersex and genderqueer folks, but in this community, those issues are much more on the surface and we have learned how to talk about and acknowledge them. So part of it is we just don't assume a lot of the things that are often assumed in this context. So I don't say, what's your voice part? I say, do you have a sense of where your voice is or whether you feel comfortable singing higher or lower? Has there been any recent changes? The other piece is, I have ongoing voice check-ins available weekly. It doesn't mean that people are constantly checking in. Most folks are not. But again, I wanted to normalize the fact that voices change and that questions arise and that human beings change and our interests change. And so before our 6.30 rehearsals on Sundays, 
there is always a 6, 10 p.m. time for anyone who wants to have a chat with me for any reason or to sing through and say, can we just check on my voice or I'm feeling this thing or, you know, I've really been feeling lately like I want to try singing lower. Let's talk about that. Great. I want to ask about that, actually. When somebody really does want to use this as a vehicle to adapt their voice into something that's more them, how does that work? It's complicated because, first of all, obviously the human voice is a human person and everybody is different, right? We're, we're not saxophones. We're, we are substantially and significantly different one person to the next. And so the only way to work with people... I think is is to be really open and individual focused. Um, so for example, I'm never looking to fill a section. I'm never looking to like, oh, I need more low voices. That's not the question. What I want is to, is that for the folks who want to sing low, that they get that opportunity, but that they're doing that in, in an environment where I'm checking in with them, people are hearing them so that they know that that there is support around that. It is not simple because everyone does, we, we all do have natural physical limitations and sometimes we wish we could surpass them. I myself would find it really convenient and delightful if I could sing an octave lower than I actually can, but I can't, right? But so the question is for every one of our folks, how can we help you explore the full healthy options that are available to you without any judgment about um, how that corresponds with how you look or what your name is or anything else. Liana Christian, how did you hear about this chorus and why did you join? My partner actually found out about this uh, trance and singing symposium two years ago when we had just moved to California, to San Francisco, and having had lots of voice changes Recently, when I came here, I just felt like this might be something where I could learn something about my voice, what to expect, how does it work, whatever. And I just, well, we both ended up joining the, the chorus kind of on the spot because, it, I mean, it was such a nice, great community, just visually all these different genders just scattered across <laughs> all the voices. Like every section has a range of gender expressions and also it sounded really good. So I felt like this is the place where I, I can come and learn something about my voice and about singing and all of that. So, Jasmine G, what about you? I was born male. So therefore, it's either bass or tenor. For so long, I was stuck in the bass. It was fun, but it was still uncomfortable. I came out late in life, uh, 1999-2000, I came out. I decided to leave my conservative church. I went to a day church in San Francisco, Tenderloin. There, I tried to be in the tenor, but I felt more like being with the women because I, I felt more female. So I sang alto for a while. And then around 2018, someone told me about this choir. Then when I joined, I thought I tried the soprano. Hey, Jasmine, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I just point out two super important things that you said that maybe they want to follow up on? One is, we, so we don't use the term soprano, alto, tenor, bass. 
because those are really gendered terms, right? So in other, of course, Jasmine's speaking about the other things that she belongs to that, of course, do use that term. But for our folks that we're just meeting, we say one, two, three, four. Ones are the highest. So now Jasmine sings with the ones. Yes. I start out in the twos. Then I decide to be part of the one. But then when they had two parts, I sang the lower one. But then lately I've been singing the higher one, even though sometimes I can't reach it, but I attempt to because I I want to do this. I don't want to be boxed in anymore. When I think about the voice, I think, you know, this is such an intimate thing, right? Like every voice is different. Every voice tells you so much about the person. And I mean, frankly, I'm still trying to figure out how to use my voice as a radio host. So I'm wondering from each of you, uh, maybe we can start with you, Liane, Christian, how, what do you hope it does to your voice, whether or not you're trying to change it, adapt it, or just refine it into a better singer? What do you hope this does for you? I don't know if this is a hope anymore if, or if this is something that has already happened, actually. I think I have, um, I've been able to, to expand my range. I dropped way far, way fast, but I had really small range in the, in the low part. Below where, where I used to have anything was the entire range I had. And then I've been able to slowly build back up and kind of bridge the, the gap to my head voice, which is still uh, loud and clear. So now I, I have a fair, fair amount of range and with a kind of small gap, which, which is great. And I acquire as an opportunity to use your voice, right? Uh, and just keep it going and moving and exercise it. And I think that's what we've been doing. Um, but also the, the freedom and, and liberty of knowing that if, if I can bridge this gap, I could actually sometime just pop in another section if I wanted to, right? Or I could take a solo or I could do all kinds of things because there is lots of freedom and uh, fluidity is is uh, celebrated in, in this context, which I think is lovely. So for hopes, that might be it, to be able to express an even fuller part of my of my capacity, right? Without uh, assumptions on gender on, on top of that. What about you, Jasmine? What do you hope for being in this choir? Similar to Lenny Christian, to widen our range. We also had opportunities before the pandemic to sing in different venues. This is one of the things that has been a great surprise of this project. When I started, the idea was to create a trans community space that was safe and happy and supportive for people to sing. What has turned out to happen is we have been really fortunate and we have had lots of wonderful people join in with this. And so we do have that, but we also have gotten lots and lots of requests to perform, which was not the number one goal, which may sound strange, but it wasn't, right? I mean, that's a different project. And, you know, so for, for me, this was really about not just right voice and not just making music, but also just allowing a space for people's spirits as people to try new things. People are invited to visit different sections if they want to, um, so that people can try new things and kind of and shake off some of the limitations that we have come to believe are natural, but some of which are not. Well, Ruben Zelman, Liane Christian Bringimark, and Jasmine G, thank you so much for talking with me. 
Thanks. It was lovely to talk with you. Thank you very much. Find more information about New Voices Bay Area Chorus at sfcnc.org. That is Vedic chanting. And Rio Amania, transfem, non-binary, Afro-Latina, Puerto Rican native living in Denver, has been practicing Vedic chanting for nine years. I wanted to know, as a non-binary person, what role this vocal exercise has in their life and what it does for their relationship to their voice. But first, I asked Rio for a little explainer on Vedic chanting. Vedic chanting is an oral recitation of the ancient Hindu Vedas, and the Vedas themselves are considered sacred, sacred texts and they date back to, you know, beginning of time. <laughs> so it's a way to just pass on the traditions just orally. And um, the practice back then um, was mostly done by um, people who were assigned male at birth. And so what's interesting about that is the practice today is done mostly, from what I see, people who are assigned female at birth. And not only is pronunciation paramount to the reciting of the chant, but also the tone and cadence of the chant itself. And I've noticed that people with you know the higher pitched voices tend to lower their pitch quite a bit because they were passed on by people with lower pitch. And so, you know, being a non-binary person who was who you know was assigned male at birth, I already have a lower pitch. So I didn't have to modulate my voice too much, which happens a lot in the trans and non-binary communities is, you know, voice modulation. So I don't know if it's appropriate to ask if if you could do it uh, is or is that more of a private thing, like for me to hear what it sounds like from you? Oh, sure. No, I can do. And actually, I, I picked one. <clears throat> it's fairly neutral. And it's a chant that's used to kind of create a space for learning. So <laughs> I'd love to hear it. <clears throat> Om Sahana Bhavatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvina Vadhi Tamastu Thank you. It's beautiful. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm definitely not a singer, but I like I like the vib- <laughs> like the the vibration. Also, when chanting, I like to place my hand on my throat. And that's a, a good reminder of like, this is my voice and this is what it feels like, not only what it sounds like. 
you know, those are the things that a lot of people take for granted, that very intimate identification with the body. You know, that's one of the core issues that I find in the trans community in general. You know, all these expectations that society has. And, you know, there's just a long history of what our bodies are and what they aren't. So I do think that this is, you know, a very directed practice that can help with that. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about that because I'm not trans, but I imagine that for people who are trans, sometimes they're seeking a voice that is different, right, than what they have right now. And they got to figure out how to get there. Or they want to feel closer to the voice they have now and not change it. And then everything in between. So talk about how you see Vedic chanting being a tool for trans people to get to where they want to be with their voice, wherever that is. Yeah, definitely. You know, something that's really prevalent in the trans community at large are a lot of disidentifications with a physical body, you know, and that tends to be really problematic in a lot of different ways. You know, there's like societal pressures of what we should look like. And of course, you know, that reflects back like, well, then we, what, what do we think what we should look like, what, what we should feel like? So there's, I've seen definitely a lot of areas where people really just say, you know, this is a body that I don't really want. I want something else. And just really being in the space of just not being in our bodies. And our voices are physically and metaphorically unique. So it's a good way to not only embody our experience, but also of self-reflection. You know, this is a reminder of not only what what I sound like to other people, but this is a way that I'm listening to myself in a very physical and tangible way. I think that's why like voice is just so important. Well, Rio Amani, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. After the break. You find your audience by being you, and then your audience comes to you. Hear a masterful baritone in the opera world who happens to be trans. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. That is the voice of Lucia Lucas. She knew she was trans when she was really young, and as she grew into her beautiful baritone voice and began her career in opera, she knew there would come a point where she had to come out. And it's a risk for anyone to come out, no matter how safe they may feel to do it. But for Lucia, coming out as a woman who sings and will continue to sing baritone in the opera world, that's one intense aria. So at 33 years old, she did it with style. I asked her to give me some context to that night in 2014 when she reintroduced herself to her arts community in Germany. Huh. Well, um, I, I would say that 
opera, at least the audiences of opera, are probably more conservative than most of the other art audiences. And so I just didn't know that this would actually be possible. And I didn't know if I would be embraced or, or what would happen. If, if I come out and I change this very small little personal detail about myself, something that shouldn't affect my onstage life, you know, what happens? And that was always a question. And the answer could have always been that I would lose my career. But I came to that point where, you know, I just had to come out. And if I lost my career, then I lost my career. Then I go do something else, you know? And so the moment where I came out was um, they had this opera ball every year. So it was all of the the departments. It wasn't just opera. It was also ballet and the orchestra and, uh, and the theater department. And it was just this giant celebration and people get super, super dressed up. And it was always really fun. And so my wife went in sort of like a Marlene Dietrich outfit. I wouldn't say it was super masculine, but, you know, it was technically sort of a pants tuxedo type suit. But so I came to uh, this opera ball in a long gown. Actually, let me see. Is it here? Yes, it is here. This gown. This is the actual gown. It's beautiful. Will you describe it for our radio listening audience? Sure. Oh, we're a radio. That's right. (laughs) It is a black a long, long gown, and there is a center panel that goes all the way from the top and in the straps all the way down to the ground, which is a lace panel with um, some beige behind the lace. And there's, there's some sequins to give it a little glitz as well. So you show up to this gala with your wife in a tuxedo pantsuit and you show up in this beautiful, long, black, sequined gown, and then what? And people would recognize my wife before they recognized me. And then they would go, who is with you? Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I guess the next day there was another party um, somewhere, not at the opera house. And people were talking about me and I, it got back to me and um, I said, okay, well, I better have a meeting. So I went in and I talked to my boss's 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 boss and I said, hey, this is, this is something that I need to do. Um, I need to come out. And he said, okay, well, you know, personal stuff and family stuff, all that stuff's more important than work stuff. So I do have to ask you a question, what happens with the voice? And I said, well, I've done my research. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it doesn't change. So unfortunately, because, yeah, I'd love to just like sing completely different repertoire that aligns with me. But at the same time, if that did happen, I wouldn't be able to be employed the same way. And so the next week, I had like four different shows or something like that. And I just did my job how I did it the week before. And I was like, all right, this isn't so bad. Very shortly after that, within two weeks, I was like, oh, this can work. This is fine. Like, I can wear whatever I want to the theater. They can draw whatever they want on my face and put whatever clothes they want on me, glue a beard on me, and then I can, you know, take it all off and go home. And that's kind of what I've been doing since 2014. 
You've had surgery to feminize your face. Your body has changed since taking estrogen and anti-androgens, and you've had gender-affirming surgery. Do you think you'll ever, after your career in opera is finished, feel compelled to change your voice? The great thing about training your voice for opera is that you have trained your voice. But the thing is, is I don't think that my voice has to be a part of my identity. I would say that I, I speak a little bit softer on my consonants when I'm, when I'm speaking and I, and I do other things that are feminine with my voice, but purely the pitch of a voice, I mean, I guess we, we, we think about it as more masculine or more feminine, but we can look at plenty of baritone women voices like, um, my gosh, Golden Girls. Oh, um, B. Arthur. B. Arthur. Uh, one of the most famous baritone women voices ever. And the thing is, is I guess visually, um, if we see an older woman, you know, gray hair and everything like that, and she has a lower voice, like we, we don't even think about it, but we, we accept a lower voice from a woman of a certain age. And if we see a young woman uh, with a low voice, then that can be a little bit for your, your brain to adjust. But I think that it's only weird because we make it weird. There's just a lot of things that if you grow up with it, you don't think about it. Whatever culture you're born into, there are rules to that culture. And I think that when you see LGBT representation, you just go, oh, this is someone I can be as I grow up. These things are possible. You know, when you see trans representation, even on Instagram or you know, some sort of social media, you go, oh, wow, that that is me. I don't have words for this, but yeah, that's me, which I didn't have that. I knew how I felt. I had those feelings always, but I didn't get the, the vocabulary for that until late 90s. And I saw, you know, lots of 90s TV was was terrible and 90s movies are terrible and they've aged very poorly. So poorly. But, you know, even even negative representation, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not me. But that's, you know, that has something to do with me. Like, I find this interesting because there, there's definitely a theme that I as- associate with. And it's powerful to hear you talk about, you know, I'd asked about, do you think you'd ever want to change your voice, like post your operatic career? And I think, you know, even that question is sort of rooted in the stereotype that if you identify as a woman, then clearly that means that you want to inhabit all that I interpret as a woman, which is not necessarily correct. The thing is, is that especially trans feminine people are getting it from a couple different angles. And second wave feminism has sometimes said, well, if you are are a trans feminine person, then you're trying to appropriate this femininity. But like, I'm really not. Like, I'll go to parties and I'll wear a dress, but like 95% of the time I don't wear dresses, I wear pants. 
They're very practical. Sometimes they have pockets. So, like, yeah, I mean, do I want to change my voice? Well, if the project requires it, sure. If it's the art that I want to make, sure. Like, do I change my voice? I change my voice every single day. If I go to to the fast food joint and I don't want somebody to harass me, sure, I'll pitch up my voice. Like, who cares? Yeah, I can talk higher. It's just fine. I can talk like this for a long time. It doesn't bother me at all. But this, you know, I really have sort of settled into this voice. I'm comfortable in this voice. This voice is higher than the way that I used to talk. Is it high enough for you or somebody else? I don't care. Really? So that's kind of it. And it's like going to a, a, an artist perspective is who do you make art for? You, you make art for your audience. Okay, well, who's your audience? How do you find your audience? And what I would say is you find your audience by being you, unapologetically you, and then your audience comes to you. And the people who don't want to be with you are not with you, but the people who are with you, they're really with you. This is the thing, is if you try and make your art or yourself acceptable to somebody else, then you're not going to do as good of a job of it as if you are just you because then there's nothing wrong if you just stay centered in you then everything is right and that's going back to the stage same thing whatever you do on the stage is right if you drop that glass you meant to drop that glass you stay in your character and you either pick up the glass or you step on it or you throw it or whatever but as long as you are in your character it doesn't matter so for me if i say in me and i make art for me and people like it then they're going to like the future art that i do hopefully i've saved the most difficult question for last and and it's i'm i'm just going to come out and ask it what has been your favorite role This is the this is the artist joke. It's whatever you're working on. What's your favorite role? What's your favorite project? It's well, it's the one that I'm working on, of course. I did a dress rehearsal for Rigoletto in the end of January because we were hoping to open, but Germany said the the number of incidents per hundred thousand people or whatever is too high, so. You know, theaters remain closed and museums remain closed and anything that's not like supermarkets and pharmacies basically remain closed. So we were not able to do it, but we basically put it all the way almost to a premiere and we haven't done the premiere yet. So I would say that that is my favorite role right now. And I doubt that I'm going to have another one until something else opens. And, you know, I look forward to to next season and everything that I've got planned for that. But, yeah, I really would love to open Rigoletto first. Well, I've asked everything I planned on in the, at least, I mean, we could talk about a thousand things. But in the context of this show about trans voices, is there anything I missed or anything else that you want to say? There should not be any requirements for you socially, legally, or medically to have your identity. You are who you are, no matter, well, you know, if you don't 
come out socially, you're going to have a hard time people um, recognizing you for who you are because you have to let them know. So that that is, of course, important. But, you know, lots of people go through a social transition. You know, you let people know, hey, actually, I'm I, I don't like guys. I like girls or whatever. And you do it over and over again. <laughs> and you do it over and over again. Never stop coming out. The, the thing is, is about trans stuff is social transition is the only thing that should matter for anybody else. But the thing is, you can't put any sort of limits or gatekeeping on somebody's identity. If you are who you are, then that's who you are. If your blood is too thick, you are at risk of thrombosis and you might not be able to do HRT if you're a trans feminine person. That is something that you don't have control over. So am I going to tell you, oh, because you have this the risk of thrombosis that you can't be a trans woman? Like, no, that's ridiculous. Or that you have to have some sort of surgery. What if your blood's too thin and your blood won't clot? Then you can't have surgery. So you can't put these restrictions on people. You can't make people jump through these hoops in order to be respected for who they are. Lucia Lucas, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. My pleasure. Special thanks today to Hilary Weisberg. She's a speech-language pathologist based in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, and it was she who suggested I explore this topic. Thank you, Hilary. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, and my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Audacious is produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. To subscribe to this show and listen back to shows about things like stuttering and other speech disfluencies, why your ideas about testosterone, pain, and brown recluse spiders may be very wrong, what the variety of animal penises in the world can tell us about how we interpret manliness, And what happens when you call the number on the bottom of I Love You Jesus billboards? Visit ctpublic.org slash audacious. Thanks for listening.